You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. And uh, I know a special time for your family. I'll let you grab your Bible while you're standing, and I'll, I'll save you an up and down. And, uh, but we're honored that you're here. It's something that we do once a year, uh, be able to come together, invite our family to come, and families ought to worship together. Amen? And we are just honored to have you here this morning. If you are here uh, as a visitor and you are unaware that it was family day, well, hey, we just welcome you this morning, and we want you to know there's not another church that you could have stopped by that is more honored to have you than what Faith Worship Center is. We're thankful today for your presence, and we honor you for being here. This morning, we're going to go to John chapter number 19, a familiar text to most, and, and uh, a special text to me. I'm going to read three verses, verse numbers 28, 29, and verse number 30. Maybe a little different in regards to maybe what I've, I've normally been at for family day. I remember last family day and I used the testimony of my family and how that everything that the enemy tried to do from way years back, I can look as the enemy tried to destroy our family, but God restored everything that the devil tried to do, amen? And we're thankful for that and I, that was a special service for me, but this morning, I just got to be here, and I feel I would be wrong if I went anywhere else, and so I trust this morning that you are encouraged. John, the Gospel of John, chapter number 19, and we'll look at verse 28, 29, and 30. And the Bible says that after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar. And they filled a sponge with the vinegar and put it upon hyssop, and they put it to his mouth. Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar. He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. Will you look at verse 30 with me one more time? When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. It's the last words that John records of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says it is finished right before he passed away. And this morning, or before he gave up his life, and this morning I want to minister. I've been at this text before, but not quite this title. I want to use for a title this morning this thought. It is finished, but he's not done. It is finished, but he's not done. Amen? <laughs> I feel that in my spirit this morning. It is finished, but he's not done. Will you bow your head and will you help me pray? Father, I love you this morning. And I thank you, God, for your grace and for your mercy and for your love. I thank you for the moving of the Holy Spirit that we've already felt, that we've already sensed here today. God, I'm grateful for every individual that is here, God, every family that is represented, Lord, for every person, God, that came this morning. I'm grateful for them. And Lord, I just pray this morning, God, that they would open our, our ears to receive, God, our hearts to receive also, Lord. And God, that you would anoint my lips to deliver your already anointed word. I'm asking you to do something that I cannot do, God, and that is to move upon the hearts of your people. And I'll be very careful to give you all of the praise and all of the glory and all of the honor in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody says, Amen. I was thinking about past family days that we have, uh, that we've had, that, and begin to recall them this week. This week has been a, uh, a time of, of prayer for me. I, I I don't want to waste anybody's time, so I wanted to make sure that I had heard from the Lord and give you what I felt the Lord laid upon my heart, and uh, you know, church can be boring if the Lord isn't there, amen, and so we don't want to be boring this morning, we want what the Lord has for us, and so uh, this Sunday is, it's one of my favorite Sundays, the family time and coming together, I got a big surprise, I'm not going to embarrass her this morning, but I probably am and not meaning to, but we had a cousin walk in I hadn't seen in years. I don't know how long it's been, but it's been way, way too long. And I didn't call your name, so we didn't embarrass you. She's saying you're getting close and you better hush. That's what she's thinking. But uh, it's one of my favorite times. And, and we could get together with our family and to worship the Lord. And I begin to recall different messages. I recalled last time, that last family day, 
And I used my family as an example and uh, different things that I have said. And uh, I, I remember recalling different men and women in the Bible and their position of faith and the great example that they have set before us. And let me tell you, when you begin to look into the Scripture and you look at the different men and the women in the Bible that we have for an example, they are a great example. I don't read of any of them that is perfect, but they are great examples of our faith. See, genealogy is important to the Lord. When the Holy Spirit moved upon the writers of the the men of old, He included their genealogy where they came from. And it was significant because family is significant to the Lord. God is a family man. And when we look at in regards to all of those that are born again and they come into what he calls the family of God, he is using the type of the family unit to show what what he wants and what he designed. See, what God designed in the very beginning when we were with him in the garden, when he walked with us in the cool of the day, there was nothing wrong with that plan. There was nothing marred about that plan. And ultimately, what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary is to return us back to the state that we are in that one-on-one perfect relationship with a holy God so that He can do nothing else but commune with us. And to all of those that will place their faith in Christ and what He's done on the cross of Calvary, guess what? Our eternal reward is eternal life when we will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever and forever. Paul would say, Amen. Amen and amen. I thought about Noah. Noah is a great example. We have some dads in here today, I'm sure. Noah is a great example of a dad, of a father that showed us the example of a man who had a great responsibility to hear the voice of the Lord. Even when everybody else was mocking and everybody else was telling Noah that he was crazy, Noah showed us that the man, the head of the household, had the great responsibility to hear from the Lord and to follow the voice of the Lord regardless regardless of what anybody else was saying. He obeyed God and built the ark. He obeyed the Lord and told his family to get on. He obeyed the Lord and had the Lord shut the door. And it began to rain and everybody, everybody there perished except for the man and his family that listened and obeyed the voice of God. I want you to know, men, and I I just want to encourage you to strive to hear the voice of the Lord because your family does not have that head and that protection and that direction that they need unless you are following God. We have an example of a, of a man by the name of Abraham who is known as our father in the faith. He's a great example of a father. He's a great example of an uncle. He wouldn't quit asking to the Lord until he was able to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and bring his nephew Lot out of that place of destruction. But Abraham was a man that is an example to us that believed in hope against all hope. He did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb nor the, uh, the deadness of his own body. But he believed the Lord believing that he was able to perform what he had promised and God blessed him greatly for doing so. Let me tell you something, not just father, not just uncle, but believer. When everything else looks like it's falling and everything is against you, if you will believe the Lord in hope against all hope of the natural, God will bless you for it. Amen. And we have the great example. This ain't even my message, but this is where I'm at and I'm enjoying it. We have the great example of a mother, Jochebed, the mother of Moses. When Pharaoh made the rule and he made the law that all firstborn, all men would would be killed. The only thing that she could do for her son, for her child, even if he wasn't a son, we, 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 we can use that in regards to the daughter. When they could do nothing else for them, she put him in the arms of the Lord. The ark that she made was a type of the ark, not just of the old ark, but was a type of Christ. That is a type of Christ. So what did she do when she could do nothing else for them? She turned him over to the Lord and the Lord saved his life and used him as a great deliverer. Moms, let me tell you something. When you can do nothing else for your child, you can turn them over to the Lord and you don't have to give up on them and you don't, my Lord, I feel that this morning. You don't have to write them off. You don't have to say, well, I don't, where did I mess up? Where did I go wrong? Listen, where you went right is turning them over to the presence of the Lord and saying, God, I I can't, but I believe that you can. And if you'll keep 
keep your faith in Christ and what He did on the cross of Calvary. You'll watch God take a situation and bring out a great blessing, a great deliverer that God will use for His glory. My Lord, maybe that should have been my message, but I'll get to my text, I promise you. But more personally, I want to say this. I look around, there's some visitors here that I don't know uh, just real well. I do see a lot of familiar faces, but I look around and I see some great examples of faith in this building this morning. Great examples of men and women that are, not, not that just have, but that are fighting the great fight of faith. I know people in here this morning that has went through addiction. I know people in here this morning that has went through sickness. I know people this morning that has went through uh, that has went through death. I know people this morning that has suffered divorce. I know people this morning whose children uh, are still astray and don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I know people in here this morning that one spouse is praying for the other spouse because the other spouse have not yet given their heart and life to the Lord. Uh, but you know what I see this morning? Even though that they're in trouble, even though their world is being shaken up, even though that they're in the middle of a trial even though the fire has been turned up I want to tell you this morning uh, I can't do nothing but commend you uh, you're still here you're still believing you're still trusting uh, you're still holding on to the one that is able to change everything uh, I pat you on the back I take my hat up God bless you for your great fight of faith this morning yes, praise the Lord amen. amen some great examples this morning the world is trying to pull and divide the family. Families have less family time than what they've ever had. And I hope and pray that there are some families that are, that are aware of that. And they start having the priority of bringing their family back to that family unit. And understanding the position that God put them in is important. A dad's position is vital. A mom's position is vital. And the children need to know that. And they need to understand that. And so I hope and I pray that they, that they recognize that and that they understand that this morning. Let me just ask you a question. Are you thankful for your family this morning? Are you thankful for your family this morning? And we, uh, we're, we're grateful for uh, the family and the man and the woman and their positions in that home. We've come from many different backgrounds today and many different, I'm going to say it like this and I don't mean it just to be horse talk, but many different bloodlines. We speak bloodlines when we're talking about horses, but many different backgrounds and many different bloodlines, many different family trees. We've come from many different areas, many walks of life. There's things in your life that, in all of our life, that we wish wasn't there. But no matter where we come from, what our last name is and what our background is. See, the world holds great status to those that have a position or a title or a certain name. But I want to tell you this morning, that the Lord is not a respecter of persons. And even though your family may not be well known, your family may not be somebody that is what the world would consider popular, I want you to know this morning that you can be a part of the greatest family that there ever was and ever existed, and that is the family of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I say with the fullest Persuasion of the gospel, that this gospel is a whosoever gospel. And by whosoever gospel, there is some things that we do know about God. God don't have favorites. God's not a respecter. God has never one single time in the scripture or any other time asked to interview somebody before he accepted them into his family. He never one single time rejected somebody because of their past. He does not do that. You see, God knows our flaws. God knows our bondages. God knows our sin. God knows our, our form of communication when we're not around church people. God knows the things that we're hiding from our spouse or whoever it may be. God knows the depths of our heart that we don't even want to look at sometimes. God knows everything about us, but still Yet, he moved with compassion and great compassion in that because of the supernatural love of God. I want to tell you this morning, I, I don't know if Faith Worship Center ever heard me say this, but it's one of my greatest announcements. I want to tell you this morning, because of the love of God that is greater than love that, that man could ever have exemplified or showed us, I can honestly tell you knowing that I'm going to stand before God one of these days and give an account for what I'm about to say. I can tell you, I don't care 
care who you are. I don't care what you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care the bondage. I don't care what your last name is. The truth of the matter is, it's a whosoever gospel. Anybody and everybody can be saved and free because of the blood of Jesus Christ. My Lord, I feel that this morning. You do not have to die and go to hell. You do not have to die and be separated from God. One time me and Brian, uh, Pastor Brian, there was a young man told us we were trying to witness to him and he said, well, and he called off his last name. That's the reason I am, because of this. <laughs> when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, he died for your last name also. And I don't care who you are, anybody and everybody can be free and be saved because of what Jesus has done on the cross of Calvary. Our text is one of the most powerful events that has ever been in history. Some ignorantly proclaim, and I mean that kindly, but I promise you, I mean it boldly. Some ignorantly proclaim that it is the greatest display of defeat that the world has ever known. There's, I can't think of anything that could be more wrong than that ignorant statement there. It's not the greatest display of defeat, but rather it is the greatest display of victory that the, ever, that the world has ever known. If we look at the accumulations of the gospel and the recording of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as they wrote about the life of Christ and the different details that they put together, we will literally get a visual in our mind about how that the Lord Jesus Christ, how that He laid his life down to defeat death to whosoever will believe. See, when man fell in the garden, and we are all a product of that, we had something that was handed over to us just if I was to hand this mic to Pastor Brian. We had something handed to us that we couldn't get rid of, and that was a death sentence. And the only way that the Lord could get, take that death sentence and put life back in there is He had to take life from a perfect life source and trade that life sentence for a death sentence. And so He looked and He found Jesus Christ, and Jesus laid His life down, and He traded His life for our death sentence for whosoever would believe upon him. I don't care how many times that you've heard it when we talk about salvation. If it's not exciting to the believer, something is wrong with you. The Bible teaches us this. He was delivered to, to Pilate. When he was delivered to Pilate and Pilate tried him. And he looked at, he listened to everything that all of the accusers had to say. That the request of Pilate, or the, the, the statement of Pilate was this. I find no fault in him. I find no fault. That'll preach right there. I'm going to come back to that later. I find no fault in him. See, he could find no fault in a man that lived a perfect life. He could find no fault in a man that did nothing but love everybody that he come encounter with. He didn't find any fault with somebody that was raising the dead, healing the sick, and set the captive free. He couldn't find anything wrong with, with casting out demonic spirits and leaving people in the right mind. All he could say was, I find no fault at all in him. And I want you to know this morning, if you will give Jesus Christ a try in your life, you will taste and you will see that the Lord he is good, and you will find no fault in Him at all. They beat Him. They crowned Him with a crown of thorns. They spit in His face. They mocked Him. They plucked His beard. They robbed Him of His robe. They left, nailed Him to the cross. They raised Him up. The timing of events on how everything here uh, unfolded, uh, the, the, the Gospels differ a little bit, but there's still events that happen. After this, I want you to think about this. About the sixth hour, the Bible says that there was total darkness that covered the earth. You know why there was total darkness that covered the earth? 
when Moses went up on the mountain and he seen the fiery bush that was burning, Moses said, God, I got to see you. I got to see you. He said, you can't look up on, you can't even stand where I'm standing for the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. God, I got to see you. He said, well, I tell you what, I'll turn. You can just see my hinder parts. Do you know why there was total darkness? Same reason there was up on the mountain. Because the event that they were about to witness was too holy for mankind to look upon. There was total darkness that went upon all of the earth. Nobody could see when Jesus would give up the ghost. The Bible says that the earth began to shake. It began to shake violently. Why did it begin to shake? Because Jesus was making a trip down into the parts of hell to take the keys of death and of hell. Then the Bible says that the veil was rent from top to bottom. A four inch wide thick piece of curtain was ripped from top to bottom to give us access into the very presence of a holy God. And then the Bible says He gave up the ghost. He gave it up. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something right now because it's trying to get getting a little bit popular. You need to know this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke said He said it with a loud voice. You don't speak with a loud voice out of weakness. You speak with a loud voice out of strength. With a loud voice He gave up the ghost. He said it is finished and the father accepted the sacrifice of his son and everything that needed to be done to bring us back into relationship was now completed and set before the foundations of the earth oh that's beautiful Mm. now we had access and with a loud voice listen it was not I don't care I've read it on the back of bulletins. I get a, little, get a little upset and I try to do it without getting in the flesh. The crucifixion of Jesus was not an execution. Not an execution. That's when you forcibly take somebody's life. They came by later to break the bones of those that were still alive to speed the process up. And they noticed that Jesus has already died. He gave up the ghost at any time he could have called angels and he just said, I can't do it. But he laid his life down for you and for me. It was not an execution. His last words, it is finished, has at least three significant meanings. I'm, I'm normally not, I don't think I'm normally long-winded. No scoffing, no laughing. Not going to be before you a long time, but... There's at least three things that it is finished meant. First of all, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, when the great high priest, everybody would gather around in the tabernacle, and the great high priest was ready to offer the sin offering that would roll their sins forward for one year. The priest would come together. The inspection of the lamb or the sacrifice was done. After the inspection was done, he made his way up to the Holy of Holies. When he got there to the Holy of Holies, they tied a rope onto his ankle in case anything was out of place. He would fall over. The presence of God was so great, he would fall over dead and they would drag him out. After the priest walked in to the Holy of Holies and he offered the sin sacrifice, sometimes a lamb, sometimes it was something else, but it was perfect and spotless. He would spill the blood out upon the mercy seat and when God saw the blood upon the mercy seat, he would accept that sacrifice and roll men's sins forward for one year. And then the great high priest would move the curtain and he would walk back out and he would make the announcement to everybody that was there and he would say, it is finished. They knew that their sins had been rolled forward. The mercy seat was a type of the cross. The blood that was shed was a type of what Jesus done on the cross. The second thing that we know there about it is finished is the master in that day and time, they owned slaves. He would go get a slave or a servant and he would give them marching papers. Hand them a paper. He would say, this is what I order you to do. Don't you come back until everything is completed. And the servant would leave and he would not come back before his master until he fulfilled everything that his master told him to do. And then when he was done, he would bring it back and he would hand it to him. And he would say, it is finished. In order for Jesus to be able to provide salvation for anybody, for whosoever will, 
He had to complete all of the prophecies of, of old. He had to complete everything down to the dotting the I and crossing the T. Everything had to be perfect. Listen, just minutes before he would give up the ghost, he said it is finished because he was still fulfilling Scripture. Or he said, I thirst because he's still fulfilling Scripture. If one thing could have been left undone, our sins could not have been atoned for. If one law would have been left undone, then we would have still been under the order of the old law. But Jesus completed everything. He did it all exactly as his father asked him to go and do. And when he was done, he came back on the, his very last words. He says, it is finished. Amen. My Lord. And the last thing was, when somebody owed a debt that they could not pay, it was more than what you could just go and pay like most of us today. Thank God for payment plans. Okay. Owed a debt that they could not pay and they wasn't paying on it any longer. There wasn't a forgiveness for your debt back then. And so what the great high priest did is he wrote down all of your debts upon that piece of paper. He throwed the person out of the city outside the gate. He took that debt and have your name in capital letters on the top of it. And he nailed it to the gate of the city. And that way everybody that came by got to see who owed, what they owed, and it did nothing but bring shame to them. It didn't do anything but bring shame. Unless somebody come by and they looked at all of them and they, they seen one that they could pay for somebody. And if they seen one that they could pay for somebody, they marched inside the city. They said, hey, I'll take so-and-so's debt. I'll pay that debt for them. They would pay the debt in full. Walk back out. Take the piece of paper. Fold it in half so nobody could see it any longer. And write. They would put a nail through it. And they would write, it is finished on the back side of that. So all they seen when they came was, whatever debt they owed, they don't owe it anymore. I want to tell you, somebody's getting ahead of me this morning. Do you know that you owed a sin debt that you could not pay? Do you know that the demands that God asked in regards to righteousness was more than you could ever earn, more than you could ever marry, more than you could ever work for? But Jesus came by one day, saw my name on a piece of paper, looked at my debt, and said, I'll pay it for him. He paid it, folded the paper in half, and said, it is Finish. He don't owe anything else. He don't owe anything else. As long as I keep my faith in Jesus and what he's done on the cross of Calvary. He don't owe anything else. Lost my notes because I'm sitting here waving them in front of everybody. So he's at the place now. That, what does this mean as a whole? I'm going to simplify it. It means this. It means anything and everything that ever needed to be done to bring you. I say me, and I want you to make it personal. Anything that ever needed to be done to bring you in, back into a perfect relationship with Christ has already been done. It's already been done. Everything you need to be in a one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus. Listen, I'm glad. I don't mean this in the wrong way. I'm thankful that God died, Jesus died for the world, but I'm, this is horrible English, more glad. Sounds better than gladder, I don't know. More happy. That he died for me. Amen. And that is what he accomplished on the cross of Calvary, everything that needed to be done to bring us back into relationship. The writing of Paul began to echo that and begins to refer back to what Jesus has done on the cross of Calvary. He said, he that knew no sin became sin for me. He was my last Adam. He was my substitute. He's the one that took our place. By one man, sin entered in the world. But by one man also, we received the gift of eternal life. He said, where sin did abound, what is it did abound before the cross, grace does much more abound today because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross of Calvary. And by my faith in Jesus and what He did on the cross of Calvary, I want you to know there's a powerful work that happens. 
I'm baptized into Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6. I'm baptized into, not water baptism, not spirit baptism. I am baptized into Jesus Christ. I'm baptized into his death, which breaks the power of the sin nature on my life. I'm baptized into his burial, which buries the old man. And I'm baptized into his resurrection so that I can be raised to walk in the newness of life. God never raises up what he's already buried. He'll bury a drug addict and bring you up sober. He'll bury a liar and bring you up telling the truth. Uh, He will bury a fornicator and bring somebody up that is truthful and that is honest. Uh, I want you to know God never buries or raises up what He's already buried. I'm baptized into Christ. The Bible teaches me that I have been circumcised through the circumcision made without hands, reconciled back to God, redeemed by the blood that Jesus shed for me on the cross of Calvary. Everything that God required was finished. Finished by what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. And now I can get to the next part here. It's finished, but he's not done. I got to get me a little, nobody likes dry preaching, so I'm going to get me a little drink. I want you to think about what I've just said, and I always will make salvation a priority. I'll come back to it. But I want you to think about what I'm about to say. He's finished, but he's not done. There's a reoccurring problem going on in the hearts of an unknown, unknown amount of believers, and I say believers, in the world. Few will talk about it, especially those that are, now they stone Stephen in the Bible, but we're not going to do that today, so I'm being kind. Most people are so too religious to talk about any problem that they've got going on in their heart. Amen? Is that okay? It's okay for a few of us? Well, the rest of y'all buckle up. Hang on, because I'm, I'm going to go on. Truthfully, living for God to many has been a struggle. It has been a work. It has been a law. Living for God has been a struggle that, to be honest with you, has destroyed most, leaving us with the option that we can either remain miserably saved and just go through the motions, or we will give up and quit. I've heard it talked about for a long time. The church has a revolving door. You know why? Because they got saved on Sunday, and then when they got out on Monday, they messed up. And then the enemy of their soul began to tell them, see, I told you, you never got saved in the first place. And they begin to believe it. And then they give up and then they quit. And you know what the church has done? The church has been waiting right there with their stone to throw. And the first time they hear them doing something wrong, they're quick to cast stones and not very quick to extend grace. It's like they're dying and the church goes ahead and finishes them off. I'm preaching good. But truthfully, it's become a struggle. And Paul dealt with this. In Romans chapter 7, can we, can we see that? Romans 7, verse number 18. He says, I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I can't find. What is Paul talking about here? Paul is not unsaved as some would teach. that. That's not even consistent with any of the writings of Romans 7. But what Paul is talking about here is that he gave his heart and life to the Lord and he was zealous about the things of God. But he tried to live for God by what he'd done and how he worked for it and how he would earn it. And he would say, if we backed up to verse 15, I don't even know if you can do that, backed up to verse number 15, he would say this, what I want to do is not what I'm doing and what I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. Anybody? Well, I can't ask, that's not a fair question. I'll just speak for myself. I have found myself doing something that was not pleasing to the Lord, and then I'm thinking, why in the world did I do that? That's not even what I wanted to do. I don't want to displease, I don't want to offend God. You know, I, I, verse 18, Paul is saying this. Here's where we're at. He says, 
I want to please the Lord, and I find myself failing because I don't know how to perform that which is good. And he went back. He consented to the law that it was good, and that was not the right thing to do. The law was good in regards to showing him what the Lord wanted. But the law never produced righteousness. And here's what you need to know. Not only did the law not ever produce righteousness, it will never produce righteousness. Never. That's not the intent of the law. The intent of the law was to show us that God's standards for righteousness was so great, we're never going to own up to it unless we go through Jesus. And so Paul deals with this. And what is he saying? Well, I'll just be honest with you. I've got to preach to me on these moments, but he's reading my mail. See, I learned something after I got saved. I was raised, listen, I wasn't just raised in a good home. I was raised in the best home that existed. Me and Sister Stephanie will argue a little bit about that, but she's wrong and I'm right. I was, yeah, amen. I got amens, you didn't. I was raised in the best home that ever existed. The best parents that ever walked God's green earth. I was made to go to church. Some parents, oh my goodness, you made to go to church? Mom, Dad, thank you for making me go to church. I was made to go to church. We were faithful to the house of the Lord. When I got up in the teenage years and things were going on in my heart, I thought I knew how to live for God. I knew what the presence of the Lord was. I've been in spirit-filled services. I've seen God heal. God healed me. God healed my brothers. I've seen God do some powerful things. But Sunday morning wasn't my problem. My problem was, if I'm saved and I'm redeemed, how come is it that I'm having a struggle in my heart that is pulling me the wrong direction? I'd come back to church to put a smile on, act like everything is great, but inside, I know for a fact that I am a failure. I'm preaching good. I can amen myself because I'm talking about me. I'm messing up. I'm failing. I'm being pulled in the wrong direction. My parents raised me different. My parents raised me not to do that, but there was a pull in my heart. So I didn't understand when Christ went to the cross, that he broke the power of that. And what I really didn't understand was this, and I won't be much longer, I'll quit. That's my second time, so I only got one more. I didn't understand grace and how that grace flows upon my heart. I'm going to get away from my notes and just talk from my heart for just a moment. See, I was always told that grace was unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. Is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. But that's the Old Testament meaning. And if you look in the Strongs and begin to look at grace, what is grace? What's it mean? It's not just unmerited favor. The Bible, sir, the Strongs will tell you it's this. It's the divine influence. The divine influence of the Spirit and the reflection of Upon one's heart. What does that mean? If the influence of the Spirit can now come to me by the work and the flowing of grace. Come on, don't let me bore you. I, I, this, is, I, I have to, this is very important. But the working of the Holy Spirit come to help me. Divine influence of the Spirit. Why wasn't it there when Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord? Because Jesus had not yet died on the cross of Calvary. In John 16, Jesus said, though I go, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will send the comforter in my name. And when he is here, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because the world don't know me. Of righteousness because they don't know righteousness. And of judgment. In other words, he's saying this. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to prove to you what is sin in your life. What is right in your life. And that there's a judgment coming if we ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit. John 16, not talking about baptism in the Spirit. He's talking about grace. He's talking about leading us. And you know what I found? And you may, not, you may not agree with me, but I found that after I give my heart and life to the Lord and truly committed to God, I needed some help to live for the Lord. I needed help. So what did I do? I've tried to read more. I've tried to fast more. I tried to be more faithful. 
Are those things wrong? Those are a part of the life of the believer. But the truth of the matter is, I don't need to read the Bible more because I need to read more. I read the Bible more because I want to read the Bible more. I shouldn't be going to church. I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not losing nobody, but it's in my spirit. Just going to church because I have to. I should go to church because I want to go. I fasted till I about passed out. And when I got done fasting, I was trying to get rid of a bondage in my heart. Well, what was it? That ain't none of your business. That's between me and the Lord. I was trying to get rid of a bondage. And when I, at the end of the week, when I was done fasting, I was hungry, I was starving, I was weak. And guess what was still there? The bondage that I was trying to get rid of. And then I learned... That it's not about what I do. See, what I was doing is I was moving my faith and my trust to what I do. Even though they were biblical things. When my faith and my trust was supposed to remain in Jesus and what He did on the cross of Calvary. Because it was there that the power of sin was broken. And when I learned that grace would flow, I told you about some powerful things that happened when I got saved. He baptized me into Christ. He raised me up a new creation. My name in the Lamb's book of life gave me a robe and a crown that I didn't earn. He's waiting on me. I believe with all of my heart. I will hear it's the, the moment I take my last breath here on this earth. I promise you, I will be dancing. As he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I have no doubt about that because of the witness of the Spirit and because of the Word of God. I'm not having to wonder, you don't have to wonder if you're going to heaven or not. And I learned this. That in the beginning when I placed my faith in Christ and what He did on the cross, the power of the Holy Spirit baptized me into Christ. And Colossians says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So my question is, how did you receive Him? By faith or by what you did? I received Him by faith. So walk ye in Him. As long as I keep my faith in Jesus. Help me, Troy. As long as I keep my faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary, I've got the power of the Holy Spirit helping me. He's leading me. He's guiding me. He's directing, directing me in everything that I need. If I move my faith to something else, I handcuff the help of the Holy Spirit. But the moment I place my faith back in Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary, I have the help of the Holy Spirit leading. My Lord, I feel that. Guiding me and directing me in everything. And let me tell you this, believer. You're not going to make it without the help of the Holy Spirit. And he can't help you if your faith is not in Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary. Thank you, True Toy. I didn't know anything about grace. I didn't know what grace was. But I learned this, that if I will keep my faith in Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary, he will continue to move upon me and work upon me. My question, my heart question, I usually leave a heart question is this. What are you trusting in? What are you really trusting in? Are you trusting in Jesus and what he did on the cross? Or are you trusting in some form of what you do and a work? Because the outcome is, is defeat or victory. He is, it is finished, but he's not done. What's this mean? I'll come to a close. It means this. Not only can he save you. I made the announcements a while ago. I don't care who you are. Not only can he save you, there's nothing about your heart and nothing in your life that he can't change. And little by little, as I walk with the Lord and grace continues to flow, he will change me and transform me into the image of Christ. I've told this before, I had a big, big man at the prison one time that looked at me, looked down on me, came up. They stopped me from saying a sinner's prayer in the prison, which irritated me greatly. Can't do that in the state prison in, in that class. Couldn't do that. Can't lead them in a, in a prayer in the name of Jesus. See how bad our prisons are? We can in the chapel. We can in the, when we go down for service, but you can't do it if you are invited to one of their classes to teach or preach. I didn't know that. And so I said, well, he's not going to let me lead you in a prayer, but if somebody's here and the Lord's dealing with your heart, 
You come to me right after, and I said, I will individually lead you to Christ. And this big guy came, and he said, do you really believe that? And I said, yes, sir. He said, you need to be careful making that statement in a place like this. You don't know who I am. I said, sir, with all due respect, I don't care who you are. He said, you have no idea what I've done and what I've, why I'm in here. And I said, again, I don't care. He said, how can you not care? I said, because I may not know what you've done, but I know what Jesus has done for you. And unless your problem is bigger than dead and buried, I think we're all right. And he broke, tears come down, and I led that big guy to the Lord. He gave his life to Christ. See, what Jesus done 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary was intended for that man that day. And not only can he be saved, but he can be changed and a difference made in his life. He can change you. Now, I want to leave you with this. <clears throat> I want my singers and musicians, if they would, to come. While I want everybody to experience the grace of God flowing in their life and being changed and being altered, the truth of the matter is that walking in the Spirit is not relevant to somebody that is not first in the Spirit. If you don't have life in the Spirit, walking with God is not even a thought of yours. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, I love using this analogy. It's powerful to me. But when he died on the cross of Calvary, he made a way that anybody and everybody could be saved and be redeemed and that you can know that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. All the way from Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, he goes to pointing forward at what Christ would do on the cross. Revelation 12 and 11 goes to pointing back at what Christ would do on the cross. And it all accumulates at this moment when he said, it is finished. And the Apostle Paul says this. Not only was he pointing to the sacrifice from beginning to end, but there's something else that is a common denominator from beginning to end. And that is that a person would believe, have faith. See, the Bible says from Abraham, Genesis, or Genesis 15 and 6, Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. <laughs> and then the Apostle Paul comes together, Romans 4 and 5. I'm going to give you a visual, and I'm going to hush. But he says in 5 and 1, Therefore, being justified by our faith. Think about that. Being justified by our faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You mean we can be justified? Literally, we can be justified. It gives us the picture of a courtroom. And a courtroom type setting you got the accuser, you got the defendant, you got the plaintiff and the defendant. The accuser of your life is the enemy of your soul, it's the devil himself. You know what he's doing? You know why you can't forget your past? Because there's a real live accuser that's reminding you of your past. And he's pointing and telling God everything that you've ever done. And in reality, I know that what he's saying is right. But God is a righteous judge as He stands right here behind the bench. He listens to the accuser and He gives the one that is standing before Him, which is you and I, the option. You can either believe the accuser or you can take the stand of Jesus Christ and what He's done for you on the cross of Calvary. And to those that will say, you know what? I'm going to place my faith in Christ and what He's done.
Jesus literally walks over and He stands right in front of you. And when God looks down, He hears everything that is being said. Everything that the devil is accusing you of. But when He looks, He sees His Son. And when He sees His Son, He sees one that's perfect. He sees one that's spotless. He sees one that is never messed up. And I, as being baptized into Christ, when God looks at me, He sees Jesus Christ. And God can say, justified, declared, not guilty of anything and everything. Just if they never sin, they can walk out of here a free man. I want you to know this morning, you haven't never walked into a courtroom and knew what the verdict was going to be. But this is an opportunity. You can walk into heaven's courtroom. You can place your faith in Jesus. And you can know today what the verdict over your life is going to be. It's going to be not guilty. You believe that? I'll throw my Bible in the first trash can I, I find I come by if I didn't believe that. You can know that you know that your life is pronounced not guilty. I want you to stand with me this morning. Just worship with us for just a moment.
Man, I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me, if you would, congregation. Close your eyes, everybody, across the building. This is the most solemn time of this service right here. Nobody's looking around. I want you to know this morning simply, heaven's courtroom is wide open. I don't know where you stand in your relationship with the Lord. But I know this, that according to the Word of God, you can walk out this morning knowing that the verdict over your life is not guilty. And as long as you keep your faith in Christ and what He done on the cross of Calvary, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear when I leave this life because I've already took my judgment according to what Jesus has done on the cross of Calvary. I just want to ask you, and I'm not going to ask you to come. Got another part of my altar call, but this morning, you say, I'm here. I want to take my verdict this morning by my faith. I want to know that I'm justified this morning by my faith. Would you simply stick your hand up and put it right back down? Real quickly, I'm not going to tarry a long time. I won't beg you. Thank you, Lord, for this hand. Anybody else? I'm going to take mine right now. Thank you, God, for that hand. Anybody else? This morning, right now, I'm going to go to heaven's courtroom spiritually. I'm going to place my faith in Christ and I'm going to know that I'm not guilty before I leave. Thank you, God, for that hand. Thank you for that hand, Lord. Anybody else, you slip your hand up and put it right back down. I'm not going to call you out. I won't embarrass you this morning. This is between you and the Lord. It's between you and God. I ask you to raise hands because through the week I go back and as a visual, I remember those that raise their hands and I'm praying for you. And I want you to know this morning, I don't mean this boastful, but you're going to want me praying for you this week. If you're here this morning and you say, I want to make sure, would you slip your hand up and put it right back down? Thank you, God, for that hand. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? All right, here's what I want to do. I want to ask the congregation. The head bowed and eyes still closed real quickly. The Bible says that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. This morning we believe that that's by faith in the moment that a person not just had knowledge, but that you honestly believe from the heart that Jesus is the only way of salvation. You ask Him to forgive you. You confess Him as your Lord and Savior. We believe that God then will reconcile your soul, your spirit, will redeem you according to the blood that Jesus has shed. So this morning I want to lead you in a simple prayer, but i I got to tell you, simply reciting this prayer doesn't do anything if you don't believe it in your heart so I'm asking you this morning there was a five six hands that went up I want the whole congregation to help me so we don't point anybody out and pray this prayer with me this morning and believe it in your heart would you help me Heavenly Father I come to you in the name of Jesus Lord I am sorry for the things I've done I'm sorry for the way I've lived and I'm sorry for the sin in my life but this morning I believe that what Jesus has done on the cross of Calvary is sufficient for my sins I believe the blood he shed is able to make me clean and right now I ask you to forgive me I ask you to change me and I ask you to help me I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I believe on the third day, God raised Him from the dead. And right now, by faith, I believe I'm saved. I believe I'm washed. I believe I'm clean. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Well, go ahead and rejoice this morning. For those that give their heart and their life to the Lord. Hallelujah. If you were blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail, Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, you can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you and God bless you and your family.